welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. Oh man, thanks Doc. It's a pleasure to be here to kick this uh, podcast off, man. Um, the purpose of the podcast really is to bring together those minds, those voices that inspire me. I know many of them have inspired you to think differently about education. Um, you know, whether we're talking about education uh, from the hood to the hills, there are kids being left behind. And uh, these are the folks on the front line doing the work that needs to be done to ensure that every child has access to a high quality education. Um, as I mentioned, you know, I just uh, shouted out my man, Doc, Doc Miller, he's our producer. He is our, our honorary member of the board and our true co-conspirator helping me make this uh, podcast dream a reality. And so I'm excited to be here with you, Doc. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And, I, and we need, like, you need a better intro than just, hi, this is Jonathan Santos Silva, right? Like, like no, that's, I, no, that's I, you, you need to be, like, all of the amazing things that you've done and why you're bringing these voices together. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Man, I think um, for me, the pleasure of bringing this thing to life and bringing these voices, folks who have uh, pushed me forward in my work uh, to the world, that's introduction enough. I, I get the rub off of them, so I'm excited. The idea for this podcast has been rattling around in my head for a while now, you know that. Um, mm -hmm. But what, I think what changed was um, COVID-19 made uh, getting these voices, these minds together seemed that much more urgent. And so, you know, I think as a listener, what you can expect is episode, each episode, we're going to drill deeply into some aspect or area of education where our guests, or as we're calling them, our board members have like, not even, not only just expertise, but they have a deep personal connection to the topic. And this is why they're here. This is why they're sharing their voice with the world. The way that today will look a little different is we wanted to introduce you to our board members. They're brilliant and they're amazing and we asked them to be here for a reason. And we wanted to give you like just a taste, like this is the appetizer. Hopefully you, you, you know, you get, you make your way around the buffet, you try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And that's gonna just work up your appetite for wanting to tune in for episode two, episode three, episode four, and to just go on the, the ride with us for this season. Yeah, we're not gonna fill up on bread. <laughs> oh, no. You know what? You get a little salad, get the, get the um, stuff going, yeah. but then we're going for the, for the prime rib player. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's all meat from here on out. Uh, and, and speaking of that, I mean, I don't think we could start with any better voice than um, I, I would say both of our homegirl, Honest mm -hmm. Jay, Teach Him Right. Um, uh, she's a chief executive officer and founder of Disruptive Partners in Education. She's a wife and mother, national award-winning educator, speaker, and writer senior leader for national K-12 education consulting firms and nonprofits, political education strategist, adjunct professor. I mean, I'm going to run out of breath <laughs> all of her accolades and I still wouldn't do her justice. Yeah. Um, and, and beyond all of that, really, she's the one who inspired what we're going to talk about today. I was uh, surfing Facebook a little while back and came across a post where she asked, is COVID-19 the disruption that we need in education. And, you know, it's something that I had thought about. I think a lot of folks had thought, thought about, but very few at that point in the early running had had the courage to put it on paper or to put it in, put it out into the, you know, the internet ether. And so that really kind of inspired me to ask, turn around and ask her this question. And then all of our guests, 
you know, if 20 years from now, if COVID-19 is really that disruption, what does our system look like? Paint that picture for me. The big headline would be disrupt or be disrupted. Um, coronavirus taught schools 20, 25 years from now that everybody is vulnerable to disruption. And the question is not if, the question is when, right? And I think we will look back and see that parents now had a lens to learning that they never had before. Um, they will see the things that teachers are doing to liberate and empower students, but they will also see where teachers need support. Um, parents and teachers are working together differently because they now honor in different ways the work and the lift of being a parent and an educator, right, in this space, right? We honor each other and we support each other differently. And I think the bigger thing is that kids are now, we see kids now engaged in topics like politics and pandemics, things that traditionally might have been taught in college. We now realize the natural brilliance of every child, and they could have always learned more than we thought they could. And we now see kids with better connections between what they're learning and how to leverage those learning to disrupt systems and problems and challenges before they even exist. I think that's, that's what we see. Um, I think for ed reformers, and I say that with air, air quotes, I don't consider myself the ed reformer. I'm an ed dis education disruptor. Um, but I think it will show them what true co-conspirators and accomplices do, right? It'll show them, COVID-19 has showed you what happens when you attack a major system in a very real, powerful, courageous way. It'll show them what we thought could never happen actually did. And the question now becomes to be, what will you do with the power, the money, the privilege, the positionality that has been given to you. Will you lead courageously or will you be a compliant participant in a system that has always been inevitable by design? Man, doc, that's why they call her teach him right. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm struck by when she talked about walking away from this, realizing the true brilliance of every child and that we, they could always learn and do more than we um, asked them to do. That, that hits me. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but that's what hits me the most. Yeah. I, I, she's so powerful in, in thinking about the, our current time from the assets that it can bring to, to the educational landscape, especially for communities that have, have historically been underserved by a system that is inequitable by design. Mm. Well, that's why I, I say sometimes, I, I, I told her, I'm like, I could tell from, early on you were you were a poet you know she's a she writes you know lyrics and stuff because she sees the metaphors and the stories and everything so even you know to see covid as a metaphor for the way that we have to courageously and boldly attack the system and dismantle the inequity um that's powerful and not a lot of folks are willing to, to look at it that way um, but i think if we if we have the courage to look at that and to her point it has disrupted our system in ways we never thought possible we're not testing. 
We're not t- evaluating teachers. We're not doing all these things that we said had to be done. And instead we're putting kids and their health and teachers and their health first. And uh, it's not perfect, but uh, there are, are things that can come from that. I can't wait for her full episode. She's going to blow everybody's mind. Oh yeah, she, she is. <laughs> um, tell us about Kyle. I know, I remember you, you speaking to Kyle. He's going to be on one of our episodes. What's happening next? Man, Kyle Quadros and I have known each other probably going on seven years now. Um, he is a, um, he was an excellent educator, special educator, uh, a phenomenal principal. I mean, just a, a culture builder. You know, um, if you want to take a diverse group of teachers along the journey uh, around race and class and, and gender and privilege and um, trauma, he's the type of person, uh, the leader who can and has done that. Uh, and as of late, he is the founder, one of the co-founders and the, and the leader of TILO, uh, which is a, um, a new nonprofit focused on trauma-informed learning, um, providing learning opportunities for schools, but also envisioning a world where they run a school, which could be almost like a lab school for other educators to come and see what it looks like to create that environment. And so, um, and I mean, on top of that, he's a, he's a husband and a father of three. And so I think he brings that perspective of being an educator and a homeschooling parent right now. Let's take a listen to see what Kyle said when you asked him that question about 20 years from now, how will we look back on how COVID-19 impacted education? Man, we can get, we can get crazy deep with this question because I think that what, what is so interesting about current ed reform is that we have a bunch of people that are making decisions that are disconnected from the kids and the communities that they serve. And they're making decisions that I think they earnestly believe are in the best interest, but because they're so disconnected, they're not recognizing how they're perpetuating trauma in buildings that are designed to create safety for kids. And so I think that the biggest takeaways from this, I'm hopeful of, is that we understand and recognize that the most important aspect of life is to figure out, and the question we should ask is how do we maximize human potential? And when we start from a place of how do we maximize human potential, we see people from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. And what I mean by that is right now, we're seeing kids from the outside in. We're forcing behavior change. We're forcing that they conform to our vision of what education looks like. We're forcing them to digest as much content as we can shove down their throat. And we're forgetting their essence of what it means to be human. We're forgetting that what they need is love and compassion and empathy. And now the way that they're restructuring all of this virtual learning, what is the one question that everybody is asking their kids when they first step on Zoom? How are you feeling? How is your family? What do you need? They're not stopping in and saying, did you do your homework? Did you read last night? And because they're starting from a place of empathy, compassion, and genuine concern that they want to create conditions of well-being for their kids, the kids are now responding and many kids are doing better, right? And I don't want to overgeneralize or sensationalize that every kid is now doing significantly better as a result of this. But if we look anecdotally at least, the kids that struggled the most to self-regulate, to complete homework behavior in schools right now, what I'm hearing 
is that they're doing the best. And it really comes down to because we're seeing them as humans. Again, the very first question, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What do you need? It's a very different way of thinking about educating kids. It's a, it's, it's a human aspect of the work. And this is one of the first times in this country that at least I can think of that we have all experienced trauma and we have all experienced separation, which triggers that alarm system. And while we can't dispute the fact that our kids and people of color are still disproportionately being affected by COVID, there's a sense of human connection that comes of this because everyone is experiencing a loss. And so that's what's moving some of these leaders that have historically said test, 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 test to stop and say, are our people okay? And I think that if, if that is the body of the text or the hologram or the, the online editorial from the heading, 20 year reflection on how COVID shaped a paradigm shift in education, then I'll be really happy because then it doesn't matter where I live. It doesn't matter what district I live in. It doesn't matter what community I'm from. We're starting from a place of understanding. We're starting from a place of empathy and I'll allow my kids to live there all day. Man, um, first and foremost, I want to acknowledge the dog in the background. That's uh, that's podcasting in the COVID era. And that's that's probably the real life experience of a lot of our listeners, you know, doing your your webinars, doing your um your video meetings. You got kids running around, dogs running around, and that happens to podcast hosts and guests as well. So let's just call them coworkers and right? yeah. <laughs> got some noisy coworkers over there having a debate. Um, you know, I think what I love about what Kyle said um was I mean, he didn't hear what Anna Shay uh shared. Mm-hmm. You know, she talked about um seeing the brilliance of every child. And then he talked about maximizing human potential, you know, and looking at kids from the inside out. How do we make sure that we're checking in, that they're healthy, that they've gotten what they needed so that they can demonstrate what they can do, right? Not the other way around, not forcing um, performance. We haven't yet made sure that the kid is healthy. Um, I think that's that's so critical. Mm -hmm. And yet it's something that we overlook in our race to, you know, we're going to be super urgent about outcomes and results and everyone's going to read and do math at, you know, two years above and we're going to do this, you know, blah, 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 blah. But we never stopped to act. Hey, doc, are you okay? You know, and I think, yeah. I mean, he, he brought that human aspect and I appreciate that. The next guest that you teed up for us is another friend of yours, Diana. Mm. Uh, and again, can't wait for all the full episodes where, where just the brilliance of all these people gets to come out in full light. But tell us a little bit about Diana. Yeah, Diana. I've known Diana for over a decade. Um, when I first got into education, I was a teacher, a high school math teacher on the Pine Ridge Reservation at a little school uh, called Little Wound School. And her sister-in-law and my wife worked together in special ed. And, you know, for folks who have worked in, in Indian country or in, in indigenous communities, that's almost as good enough as being family. And so Diana... Kanoyer uh, over the years has become like a sister to me. My kids call her Auntie Diana. Um, beyond that, though, she is the executive director of the National Indian Education Association. Um, I believe it's the largest and oldest advocacy organization in the United States focusing on indigenous students. So we're talking about Alaska Native, 
Hawaiian native indigenous kids from across the 48 connected states. Um, and they've been in, the, in this business of advocacy for over 50 years. And so they've been there, they've done it, and they've seen it. And so I'm really grateful that she had time in all of her, her work. I mean, probably this is the only time I could get her because she's at home for COVID as well. Uh, right. But to get her to, to talk about how this is impacting um, not only Indian country in a unique way, but also for our uh, other non-Native kids in rural communities, how uh, distancing has impacted their educational experiences. Let's, uh, let's listen in as Diana tells us what she thinks um, the 20-year retrospective on COVID-19 and its impact on ed, uh, what she thinks that story was about. I think generally, I guess, I guess we're going to go kind of broad, 30,000-foot uh, level. Um, I think it's more the, the community involvement, community engagement, um, meaningful uh, conversations, the open transparency or sharing of information, um, you know, as best as possible, making decisions of a collective voice. Um, and I'm not saying that you have to stall and wait before you make, you know, some key educational decisions um, until you hear from everyone, but knowing, you know, coming to the table with, here's some ideas, here's some concepts, here's some information, and then how do you feel about this? So really looking for solutions <clears throat> that are from the community. I think that would be the number one, uh, number one need in how things should be changing if we're looking at in 20 years. I think uh, the academics are going to look different. We're going to have to meet students where they're at instead of assessing or uh, assuming well, you're in third grade, therefore you should know these 10 things. I think we need to understand you might be in third grade and it's okay if you're, you know, whatever, a little behind or you don't know this concept. Um, but helping them understand, okay, here's the gap or here's your growth. And so we're measuring growth instead of measuring these benchmarks or these, these, these achievements. Okay, great, you passed that test. It's measuring um, how well did a student learn? How well did they gain the knowledge? How well were they able to apply the knowledge? Um, so that's academics and the community. I think also leadership is going to look a little different. I, I really am a firm believer of that democratic belief system. Like everyone's opinion or everyone's voice needs to be included in this process. Now, whether we accept your opinion or your voice or your idea solution, is a different story, but at least you, you have shared. It will also help with, you know, folks feeling comfortable to, to share their ideas, to share their concepts or their thoughts uh, when they're in a safe and secure place that wants to hear from them. I mean, so we, we see, Doc, the, that thread coming through again. She talked about, you know, uh, seeing kids for who they are, not making assumptions about what it means to be a third grader or anything like that. But what also what I took away from that was like the other roles she has played um, in education, you know, before NIEA and as a, as a, as a full person, right? She's taught every level from kindergarten to college. Um, and she's a, a, a mom, you know, she's a wife and a mother. She has a high schooler going through this right now. So when she talks about uh, communities have a different say, you know, communities yeah. being part of decision-making because she's part of that community. 
And that means yeah. something to her, right? She's committed to her daughter's education and the education of all kids, right? In that way. Uh, so it's not just a nine to five. It's like a 24 seven thing for her. And I appreciate yeah. that because that comes right through. I, again, this, this, this theme about rethinking about how we think about kids and kids experience is, is critical. The, the role of parents. I mean, these, these, these are brilliant folks who, who, who circle have not really intersected yet, except through, through Jonathan's brilliance. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm excited uh, for our next episodes where we get to hear um, these voices combine, where mm. we really get to dig deep and, and hear what they have to say um, and dig into solutions, right? Like, like I can't wait to ask uh, Anashe and Kyle and Diana, so how do we get there? Right. We've asked you what it looks like 20 years from now. What is our next step? What, what do leaders need to do? What do parents need to do? What do teachers need to do? Uh, because all of them are coming from all of those different places. Right. I think that's the, the biggest thing I want to drive home is like, hopefully in listening today, you, it piques your interest. But mm-hmm. if you're sitting here wondering, but how do we get to that system where the community is involved? Mm-hmm. Or how do we get to that system where, as Kyle said, um, we're thinking about kids from the inside out, right? Or how do we have that disruptive mindset that Anashe has? How do we bring that into our classrooms, into our buildings? They get into that. You know, we're going to get into that. We're going to get right straight from, straight from the source. What are the things that you or I can do in our classrooms, in our buildings, in our daily practices? So we drive toward that 20-year vision of a system yeah. uh, where every kid you know, regardless of zip code, regardless of race, ethnicity, uh, sexual identity, I know that I'm going to send my child to that school and they're going to be taken care of, care of. I mean, that's what we want. And they're going to show us how to do that. So we've just heard from three voices of board members. We have about half a dozen more uh, sort of waiting in the wings. Do you want to preview for us like some of the other voices that, that are going to be joining us later on in the, in the season? Sure. I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing from um, Ron Rapitalo. He's, uh, uh, he's with Agility Consulting. He's also a coach. Um, he, he's also kind of one of those, I mean, you're going to see the folks that I'm drawn to, they have a diversity of perspectives, right? He's kind of done a little bit of everything. Um, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the future of, of the education field and how this virtual move is kind of forcing us to embrace um, uh, shifts in technology, but also in how we engage. But he's also, I think, going to touch on something that folks haven't probably talked about in many other arenas, which is the model minority myth. You know, he, as a Filipino American, he's, talked, he's going to talk about how that has played out in his educational journey and also how um, anti-Asian sentiments have mm-hmm. risen in this COVID era. And what does that call us to do both, you know, for, from his own community what, you know, as Asian Americans, he wants to see uh, Asian American educators, the role he wants them to play, but also a call to us to be um, brothers and sisters in arms. And how do we stand with our Asian American brothers and sisters to make sure that, you know, we're, we're letting people know that inequity anywhere is inequity everywhere, right? You're treating yeah. Asian students or Asian people a certain kind of way. Um, that's impacting us all. Um, I'm also looking forward to talking to some more dope sisters. We have some great female voices. We've got so many more. Um, uh, Carla Vigil, the, one of the co-founders of the Equity Institute. She is going to, I think she's going to open people's eyes because she's just so uh, real. You know, she doesn't, um, 
she doesn't uh, moderate her voice to make anyone else feel comfortable. Very much in the line of Anashe. Yeah. As a mother uh, and a passionate educator, she doesn't have time to sit around and mince words with you. She's just going to call it out. And she's, she's going to celebrate some things that she's seen coming out of this. And she's also going to call us to do more. Uh, Kina Newell, who is an educator who has transitioned from the traditional system to thinking about how we educate, especially communities of color, women of color, around our financial wealth and our financial health and wellness. Um, there are folks listening to this who may not be going back to work as usual, right? They may have lost their jobs. They may be trying to make very difficult decisions. And so she's going to talk to us about, you know, it may be a little late to prepare for COVID, but it's certainly not too early to think about life after COVID. And like, if and when things happen uh, that are not according to plan, how do you make sure that you're better prepared? I mean, I, I took note, I took note on that interview and uh, mm -hmm. I'm putting things into practice that I hadn't had in my repertoire. So I'm thank, thankful for that. And that's, I mean, that, that, that's just like the first half of the season, you know, yeah. Yeah. Have, you know, so many other folks that I'm, I'm excited to introduce people to and I'm looking forward to that. Well, the board of ed is officially in session. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode uh, where we're going to have a full on conversation by we, I mean, Jonathan uh, <laughs> with Anishé Wright, who you get to hear from uh, in this episode. Uh, she has so many ideas. She could feel a library. Uh, and I, I can't wait for, to hear more about that conversation. Oh man. I mean, I think what you, what you'll see about Anishé and everyone is like, we could have easily done a season with each guest. Yes. You know, and yes. just hit education from all the different angles. But I think what was important was um, I wanted to give you a taste. I wanted, and I also wanted to broaden uh, or widen the palette in education. I feel like we have a couple of folks that are the tried and true and they get to be quote unquote, the spokespeople for a whole way of thinking. And I think when we do that, we miss out on so much. And so that's what this is really about is opening you up to just a few voices um, there, these, these are folks that I respect. Um, and hopefully after listening to Anishé next week, you'll want to listen to more voices. As we wait with bated breath on our next episode, Jonathan, tell us how people can stay connected. Yeah, for sure. On Twitter at the underscore board of ed on Instagram, the underscore board of ed, and then visit us online at the board of ed, one word.com. We'd love to see you there. We're all the socials. Uh, so check that out um, and be on the lookout for the next episode. In the meantime, stay bored. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah.